The biggest mystery I want to lean on today is the story of a God who is a faithful God who pursues unfaithful people. That's been one of the messages of the Bible as we've walked through this series. And it's an important mystery to try to some degree understand or at least realize that that's how great God is. He's so great that He is perfect and He brings all His power to people who really don't deserve it. And Joshua chapter 3 is one of those moments when a group of people experience something that they did not really deserve. Joshua 3 says this, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they were camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance, about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. I told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. And so they took it up and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will began to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So Joshua said to the Israelites, Hear and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, all the ites. Verse 11, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each chai. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. It's a lot of scripture, but it's an incredible story. This is a moment in the history of the Bible that we just treasure. It's powerful. It's moving. This is the end of the wilderness journey for the Israelites that we've been hearing so much about in our lives, these people who wandered in the wilderness. It's a moment of great victory. They have made it. It's time for them to go into Canaan. And I want you to understand, 
these people who have gone through so much in the desert as they were people who were allowed to leave the bondage of slavery that Pharaoh had them under, they got to this moment, they got to this victorious moment, not because they were perfect in any way or that they were even all that good at following God. Because if you study the story of Exodus, and I hope you do, you will see that oftentimes the opposite is true. And that's part of the mystery. That the Bible is a story about a God who sovereignly uses imperfect people to accomplish His perfect plans. We're inclined to think the opposite about God. We're inclined to think that the better we are, the more God will use us. And I'm not saying there's not value in discipline. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But it's clear if you study the Scripture, and that's what we're talking about, having this conversation about the Bible, it raises a tension up inside of us sometimes when we realize that God is the only one who gets the glory. In this series that I've been talking about, it's my hope that you're going to see a bigger picture of the Scripture than you've ever seen before, and I hope you'll see that the Bible is, in fact, very synchronized, and it's amazing. And I hope you come away from this series more in love with this precious gift that God has given us, His Word, in a written form, so that you get to read it anytime you want in our world, and you can be transformed by it. So we've been walking through these sections of the Bible I call stories, stories that relate to us about themes that are in sections of the Bible. We talked about the beginning in Genesis, how God powerfully demonstrated who He was by creating all of this that we enjoy today. He gave us gravity and light. He, he gave us oceans and mountains and birds and trees and fish and insects. And God said it was good, and it was good. And this earth was designed, guys, to be inhabited by you. That's what God was doing. That was his purpose. And by chapter 3, we messed that all up. And I call that the mystery of the mess up, the Garden of Eden story. And so God walked into that garden because he wanted to get them. He wanted to find the people he loved. And he, he helped them adapt. And he gave them clothes to cover them to hide their shame. And he made a promise to them that one day the offspring of the woman that you fooled, Satan, would crush you. That's the storyline that keeps working its way through that early part of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, now Joshua. And that's the story that keeps working through our lives as well. That story of the garden hangs in the background. It's there. It continues to influence humankind. It's called sin. But the Bible is about a perfect God who loves us so much that he keeps finding ways to save us. And so he doesn't react to them by stopping life. He does the opposite. He continues to create and recreate. And already, if you've been listening in this series and if you've read any of this part of the Bible, you understand that to God, failure on our part is not final. Failure is not fatal. Because God has an attribute that you start to see in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that attribute is constancy. God is a constant God. He is constantly the same God. And what is constant about God is that He's bigger than big, and He's outrageously powerful. No power can compare. We cannot even understand the power of God. And I think that's one of the reasons that it can be so hard for us to fully live by faith sometimes is because there's nothing that can compare to Him. God is bigger than big. He's 
powerful, more powerful than any power we can imagine. Yet he's so connected to us, he's so closely involved in our lives that he delivers his power to us and his mercy and his grace to us effortlessly. So here's what you need to remember about God. He's got all this power, yet he has all this grace. And I want you to understand, God's grace is not a sign of God's weakness. God is not weak. God's grace is backed by his heavenly power. And you can trust in God's grace. That's been one of the messages. It's not like the grace that you and I show others sometimes. Ours is sometimes tipid. Sometimes our grace is hard to offer because we're wounded. And we'll say to a person, I'm going to forgive you this time, but I don't know about next time. God's not like that. He offers grace. God isn't wounded. He's not limited by the framework of a human emotion and our human flaws. So what we're already learning about God is that God is constant. And graciousness is an eternal characteristic of God. I love that about him. It was there with Adam, Eve, Abraham, Moses. Grace was behind all those plans, even though sometimes we say there's no grace in the Old Testament. There's tons of grace in the Old Testament. And that's the story that God leaves behind. But in the Bible story that where God is showing his power and his grace and his mercy, human beings continue to write their own stories. So we study their lives. We study the Moses, and we study the Joshua, we study the Abraham, and those are biographical studies, and that's part of how we learn the Word of God. So if you want to know something about God, go to one of the Bible characters that God has given us a lot about and study their lives. And what you're not studying, you're not studying about them because they're special. You're studying about the God that did things in their lives. And that can help you understand how God wants to work in your lives. It's amazing. And God reveals to us through their weaknesses how God wants to use us all. And so last week we ended with a challenge from God to Moses to believe in God's overwhelming graciousness and as well as his power and greatness and Ask Pharaoh to let the people go. That's the beginning of the story. And so if you read Exodus, you'll see that God showed up in his promise to deliver the Hebrews from slavery. And it's a legendary story. It's crazy. It's an epic kind of showdown between God and Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. God sent plagues. God sent misery to them. God messed up their happiness big time. And he broke down their beliefs in false gods in some very direct ways. And it was frightening as you read through the book of Exodus. You're going to feel, you're going to feel strange feelings of horror and fear as God pushed Pharaoh to push the Hebrews away. Then on the night there was this final plague and it was going to be this horrible thing that a death would grow through the land, but God told his people to sacrifice a lamb and cover the door with blood. You've heard that story, many of you. And if you cover the doorway of your homes, the doorpost of your homes, with the blood of a lamb, that death will pass over you. That's the beginning of Passover. It's there in the Bible. You can read about it. And it was, and that story is about God protecting his people in the midst of hostility. That's part of the story. And this was the first big-time point in Scripture, I think, as to how Jesus would become the final Passover lamb for all of us. So that term Passover started then, in that moment. So there's a lot that goes on in there that that, uh, no sermon could cover at all, but we see that God works hard 
to get the attentions of, of his people and to get the attention of a world and to push, I want you to see that, push people out of bondage. And he declared himself to be the one true God through his glory and power. He's a sovereign God who is faithful and powerful enough to back up every promise in the life of Moses, the children of Israel, and in our life as well. It's an amazing story. I encourage you to read it. But in the middle of every story, every move of God, every, every power moment that God brings, that mystery hangs on. I'm fascinated by it, the huge contrast between all that God does, all God's power, and the inconsistency of human ability to follow God faithfully. And so as the Hebrews catapulted out of bondage because God is so great and powerful, they began their journey home. And while they were in the desert, they struggled. And even though the people of God had seen the Red Sea and the parting of the sea, and they had, God had given them manna from heaven, and water had poured out of a rock, they still didn't trust God. It was hard for them. And they struggled with obedience and reverence to God. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That's the story. Someone more interesting than one time said, we have an electrician coming, by the way. Pray for them to come soon. Someone more interesting than me said this, and I love this quote. I love it. Said this, it took one day for God to get the Hebrews out of Egypt, but it took years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. So they wandered, just like we wander. That's what we came to call it, the wandering. They meandered around the desert. But even though they wandered, and I want you to know this in your own life, God did not waste his time. He was constantly speaking to them, constantly trying to turn, turn slaves into saints. Remember what I said last time, the walk with God is never a waste of time, even though you're struggling, because it refines us. As we face our struggles, as we bring our prayers to God, as we bring our weaknesses before the Lord, He walks us through things, and you may feel like you're just wandering around, but God still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And part of it is to refine you through these experiences. A third of the book of Exodus is about God's laws as He just poured it out and as He firmly established his covenant with the people, and he did it by giving written word after written word, and it's elaborated on in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and especially Deuteronomy. God used his laws. He gave them to them very specifically because he wanted them to follow them because the laws that we're studying today would become a pathway for them to have a relationship with him. That's what God has done with this Bible, and I hope you come to love it more, even more than you do now, because his big story, the story of him, is, is nothing more than the story of a faithful God who pursues us, and he wants us to have the answers. He loves us so much that he makes sure that this pathway has been preserved and brought to us, and we are the most fortunate generation ever because all of us can find a Bible, a verse, in, in a millisecond of time just by going online. It's just amazing. That's God. And here's what you need to know about that. Everything you need to know about God is in the Scripture. Sufficient. It, and that's a theological concept. It's called the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. It's here. It's in there. What God wants you to know is in this book. 
Wouldn't it be great if all of our relationships had a book attached to them? Like if you're not getting along with your wife and she could say, you need to read page 492. That could be life-changing. That would be good for us. Help me understand what you're trying to say. Read the book. I gave it to you. God's Word is a living, God-breathed conversation. It reveals deeper and deeper truth to us as we absorb it. And the more we breathe it in, the more we can see what God wants our lives to see. I love it. And it's not just a list of rules. It's not just a list of situations that if you don't follow, you're going to get in massive trouble. It's about God revealing His character to us to bring us to a relationship with Him. And part of that character is that He's a sovereign God who uses unsovereign people. That's the mystery today. And it's hard for me to understand sometimes because I feel like I need to prove myself more to God. I feel like I need to do things differently. I need to be more powerful, more interesting. I need to accomplish more for Him. And that's not what He's asking. The outcome of our lives is not based on our abilities. It's not based on our opportunities. But it's based on our obedience to God and our willingness to rest everything we have on the greatness of God. I believe that. So as human beings, we wander and, and stretch and push and push back on God sometime. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I'm saying God knows what to do with you when you're not doing well. God knows how to handle you when things aren't perfect in your life. He knows what to do. And so as we see in the story of the journey through the wilderness, God's going to invest in you as he invested in them. And Moses, in our story, has done his job. He's passed on, and now Joshua is the new leader. And they come to this glory moment that they've all been waiting on for 40 years now. And there's a great lesson that's been popping up for us in this story. And it gets clearer and clearer the more I read it. And it's, the lesson is about what is my part in the relationship with God? If God is the great one, if God is all-powerful, if God is going to pursue me, if I'm going to wander and make mistakes, what can I do to honor God in my life? Is there something I can do, or is it all just a big wash of stuff and it all just happens randomly? There is something you can do, and it's moving and it's powerful. And I want to break this passage down into three parts. Three lessons, this, ex, this uh, Joshua chapter 6 passage, three lessons that I think we can learn. And this may sound familiar to us, as I think I've shared pieces of this before, but I would share it again because I think it's important for us to learn from this story at least these three things. The first thing is this. If you want to know how you can respond to God, number one, follow the ark. Joshua said, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the priests carrying it, move out and follow it. Then you will know which way to go. You've never been this way before, by the way. That's a powerful statement. And while it applied very specifically to them, it applies to us today as well. The, the Ark of the Covenant, we learn about that in Exodus. Many of you know about it briefly God had given Moses a command to build a small ark, not a big ark like the ocean liner that Noah had built, but a small ark, a, a box. 
And the concept of the ark is the same because precious things were to be placed in this box. And they were supposed to carry this box with them everywhere they went. It was sacred. And within this box went the tables of the law, which God had given to them. It was also a pot of manna, which symbolized God's provision, daily food that he had provided in the desert. And there was also Aaron's staff, another great symbol of God's protection. And upon this box, probably not so much as a lid, but above the lid, there was a golden plate. and There was this ornate figures of cherubims with wings that faced each other. And from the place between the two cherubims, God promised to speak to Moses, just like he did on the mountaintop. It was a place where God actually went. And so they took it with them everywhere they went. They would put it in their their temples, their tabernacles in the wilderness. Powerful symbols there of their lives, but also ours. And the ark was designed to be a symbol of the presence of God because it literally was the presence of God. So it's a real, really ornate box. It's got a lot of symbolism to them. But I'm telling you, it represented everything to them about their walk with God. God's words, God's symbols of their salvations, and the literal presence of God. And so for you and me, it at least represents those things. But even more, since we have the rest of the Scripture to look to, the impact of the Word of God, those guys did not have New Testaments to carry around. They didn't have the kind of Scripture access that you and I had. So God to them would meet in a very specific place. Well, now we've learned that God's presence is everywhere. We can find Him everywhere, and the Scriptures teach us that. But the symbolism is still there, that the holiness of God, that the story of God, the promises of God, the presence of God is something that we need to follow in our lives. When we want to find out more about God, the first step is to follow the presence of God. We tend to ask God to follow us. God, as I go do this, go with me. When we should be saying, God, where are you going in my life? I will follow you. That's an important distinction. It means that we don't look for shortcuts. We let God lead. We ask him to lead. And we come to believe that the answers we need are contained in the presence of God. Think about that. Follow the ark in your life. They were told, just follow it. Then you'll know which way to go. If you're looking for direction in your life, look to the word of God. If you're looking for direction in your life, look to the presence of God. Spend time in the presence of God. Call on God. He's listening. He wants to speak with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And God is very good at it. He's very good at it. He knows how to connect with your soul. He knows how to connect with your heart. So if you need direction, go to where he's at and listen. Number two, they were taught to consecrate themselves. So I'm saying to you today, if you want to know more about God and get close to God, consecrate yourself. Joshua 3 said this, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you will do amazing things. God will do amazing things among you. I love the way that is written. Consecration is a word that's hard to understand. It's it's hard to describe what it means to live a consecrated life because it sounds like something that's very holy and, and lofty. And I would say this, I'll just struggle as a human being to try to share with you what I think I see. The consecration, being dedicated, 
First of all, it's, it's not what you do. Even though going to church and having a daily devotion, giving big offerings to the church are all good things, you should do those things. God will bless you for doing those things. But just because you do those things does not mean that you are consecrated. These spiritual activities are a way of showing something, however, and that is the why behind what you do. You go to church, you worship, you serve, you give to Him, not because you want to get to Him, but because you are devoted to Him. That's what makes you want to be a part of this fellowship today. It's about God. And deeper inside about that, it's about the heart that lives inside of you. That part of us that's hard to understand, the heart. First Timothy 4 and 5 says, Everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. Now there's another kind of conversation going on there that would take another message, but the point is strong that we can become consecrated because we look to the Word of God and we pray. That's part of it. That's what he's teaching us. So if you want to be consecrated, at least start with the Word and start with prayer. But consecration is not just a habit thing. It goes deeper. It's a heart thing, like I said. It's, it's not about behavior modification. It's about surrender. There's a difference. It's about a heart that gets fully surrendered to God and But I can tell you that that's not easy to do. It's not easy because it's hard to really describe our hearts. They're tricky things. But to me, the heart is the real you. The heart is you without makeup. It's the innermost part of you. It's where everything that matters is parked. It's there inside of you. It's the real you. It's your authentic self. It's, it's the part of our being where we desire things, where we think about things, where we make decisions. It's the internal, most deepest part of our feelings and passions and desires and thoughts. It's our center. That's our heart. And that's the place that God focuses the most. I'm telling you, this lady over here to my right and the son, along with my other children, live in my heart. They're part in my heart. There's a passion. A lot of the things I do in life are because they live in my heart. But the first second I met Beth, she wasn't in my heart. It took a day. It took some coffee cups and some time. And Beth and I describe how our relationship moves slowly. She bemoaned that. She, she wanted it to move faster. Is saying. <laughs> but it didn't because my heart was wounded. My heart was in an icky place. And so my heart had to make room for her. But when she got in my heart, my world changed. Everything about me is different. I am the husband of Beth. It's a glorious thing. I don't have a t-shirt that says that, but I should get one. That's a big deal in my life. Well, Beth knew if she wanted me, which she did, she would have to get in my heart because that's the only way that I would be able to truly live my life with her is if she's inside. God is that 
to a zillionth degree even deeper than that. God knows that if He's going to get to you, He's got to get inside your heart. And so it takes a while to figure out how to get God in your heart. It takes a while. God, please send the electrician tomorrow. And so it takes a while for that to happen. And so don't hurt, don't hate yourself or abuse yourself because you're, you're growing slowly in God. Just keep opening up your heart and life to Him because He'll move in. And He moves in sometimes slowly, little pieces. He takes over. He's there. He's completely God to you. But that heart is a place that God wants to focus on. We think it's our outer being. We think it's about how we look, the part we see. And, and we get confused. We, we ask, well, why hasn't God given me a better job or a bigger house? And why do I have to struggle? First Samuel 16, it says this, People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. You need to believe that. The heart is where consecration happens. If God has your heart, He has you. If Beth has my heart, she has me. God wants your heart. That's the big message behind consecration. And so he told them, consecrate yourself. Now, they, they went through a ceremonial consecration. But the point is still the same. This heart is so important that the Bible teaches us to guard it. In Proverbs, above all else. Okay. It says, above everything else, guard your heart. Where everything you do flows from it. So what part can you do in response to God, to God's greatness, to God's power that you can't control? You don't know what God's going to do tomorrow. You want the Red Sea to be parted. You, you want the Jordan to part for you. But you can't make it happen. But what can you do? You can give God your heart and follow Him as He leads you to the great things that He wants to do. It's amazing. This is important to us. He said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow will do amazing things among you. And he's telling them, get ready for tomorrow. Get ready for what God's going to do. And all of us want to be used by God in some way. I know that. All of you in this room, if I ask you the question, do you want God to use you? You're going to go, yes. I want God to use me. I want him to. I want to be used of God in this life. I want to touch other people's lives. That's a, that's a high calling and that's a wonderful thing to say. But you can't make that happen. It has to be God that does that in you. All of us want to be used. And we recognize that. We, we want to do something amazing for the Lord, but doing amazing things for God is not our job. That's God's job to do amazing things through you. Do you get that? It's your job to give Him your heart. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. If we do our part, God's going to do His part. Step three, step into the river. If you want to do something for the Lord, step into the river. Consecrate your heart. Follow the art. Follow the Word of God. Be, be listening to the Word of God. I'm telling you, whatever's going on in your life, it starts with prayer and the Word of God to find the solution for what you're seeking. But finally, at some point, you've got to step into the river. And he said this, when you reach the edge of the Jordan water, go and stand in the river. That's an interesting thing for God to say. If I'm standing there and there's a river in front of me, I would say, God, wouldn't it be better if you just parted the water first? Then I don't have to get my feet wet. That would be great. God, part the waters. You pray, God, part the water. He doesn't part them. 
In this case, he said, go and stand in the water. Go and just start the process of God doing something great. That's how faith works. He didn't tell them to jump into the water and swim to the other side. He didn't tell them to run fast because it's going to be a crazy day. He just said, go and stand. Sometimes we take one step at a time toward the great things that God is doing in our lives. That's how faith works. Sometimes just one step. And then it's a second step and a third step. And then we start to see things happen. Hebrews 11 teaches us that faith is like that. It's confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance about what we don't see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. We're talking about these guys' lives because God used them in faith. It's not blind hope. It's hope that's built upon God's great promises. It's amazing. But faith is taking that first step as God tells you to, recognizing that maybe he'll reveal the second step at some point in the near future. So all they had to do was go stand in the river. That's all they had to do. And so that's what they did. And the scripture says that God showed his mighty power. It's amazing. As soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched, just touched the water's edge, I love that so much. The water upstream started flowing, piled up. In other words, it started dividing so that the people were able to just walk across. And the scripture clearly says, once again, they walked across on dry ground. Guys, that story is not about faithful people. It's not about people who got it all right. They're not at this moment in their lives because they were good. It's only happening as they Do you hear that? If you're following, you're doing the right thing. If you're giving God your heart, you're doing the best you can do. If you're looking to his word, you're believing in his presence, that it's the most important thing in your life. If you're putting all that before God, He will do what He wants to do with you. You can't make Him do it. You can't cause it. But He's going to do it because He's God. And He's got a plan for your life. Isn't He great? When I was called to preach, my vision of preaching was very different than what it has become. I thought different things. I thought I would be a man of great power. I thought that I would just be holy and awesome. My face would glow. And when I was in the presence of people, they would be healed. And hopefully they would throw money. Those are some of the thoughts that crossed my mind. Not really. Being a pastor, being a minister has been humbling. At times it's hard At times, it's a mystery of why God will use me at all. But it has been and it continues to be a showcase of the power of God to take a regular life and be a part of what God is doing like you today. You're the same as me. We're the same. But I am going to tell you this. 
My heart is His. Do you hear me? It's His. If He wants it, He can have it. If He doesn't want to do anything with me, that's cool. I just want to be in His will. I'm trying hard. That's all I can do to follow. Would you bow your heads with me today? I thank you so much, God, for your holy power. It is astounding, God, to read in Scripture that you would split up rivers so that your people could walk across on dry ground. And God, we want those things in our lives. We want you to do marvelous things. But God, help us to know it's not our job to make that happen. It's our job to simply follow you, follow your word, follow your presence, consecrate ourselves, open up our hearts so that you